Okay, this is going to be a fun one. I know it. Today's episode of Marketing Gets Real brings us Paula Sandsburn and Ray Kemper. These two have worked together over many years, and you can tell. They're like brother and sister, full of love while kicking each other under the table. <laughs> Paula has run global teams at companies like Deloitte, Microsoft, and Axway, and has spent a good portion of her time um, in her career being a COO. She's very good at this, I know, and she is also a wine connoisseur, and she's very good at that, I know, too. I've spent many, many afternoons drinking a good glass of wine with my friend Paula. Ray is a rock star marketing leader with a deep background in leading global marketing, um, currently at Axway and previously at companies including TeamViewer, Televerde, and Microsoft. He's also my go-to person for advice and feedback on go-to-market plans and MarTech stacks. Um, really smart guy, lots of fun, and he's got the most adorable dogs. Um, together, Paula and Ray have some really great tales to tell, so let's listen in. <laughs> So thank you so much for joining us today, Paula and Ray. This is going to be a lot of fun. Super excited to kind of dive in and talk about some of the shit hit the fan moments that you experienced in your decades long endeavor as being a marketer. So why don't we start with you guys telling us a little bit about yourselves? I mean, I know there's a there's a history, an interesting, long, sorted history between you guys. So why don't we dive in and kind of hear the background, how you guys met, and we'll go from there. Well, I had an ad in a local paper in the personal <laughs> section. <laughs> no, we did go way back. You know, I had the chance to hire Paula when I was building a global team at Microsoft, right in when Bing was being launched, and loved her confidence and her energy, her generalist background, and she had this great customer experience background that I could leverage into a lot of different things. And so we first met at Microsoft, where she was heading up the global retention and growth strategy. And we've stayed connected ever since. You know, uh-huh. she abandoned me and went to Bend, Oregon and <laughs> to work with you, Carrie, on a demand gen agency. <laughs> And then over the years, I hired you guys to do a host of work at various times to make me look good. And then she recruited me to be on an advisory board and as a lecturer for that cool new digital marketing practice program called GreenFig, where I did a course on CMO, dealing with the CMO and marketing analytics. And then, hey, when I joined Axway, which has been a little over a year I needed to build out a global campaign team, and I begged and pleaded for her to come aboard and join me. (laughs) I was playing golf then. (laughs) It's been a while since, right, now that you've come on board? Yeah, Yeah, I can't remember the last time I played golf. But no, Ray and I have worked together for quite a while, um, which has been great. I mean, it honestly has been a really great experience always working with Ray. We get along really, really well, and we know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and we really compliment each other and we trust each other a hundred percent. So it's, it works really, really well. For me, Paula gets shit done and isn't afraid of any challenge that comes before her and any kind of uncertainty or she can figure it out. She's collaborative. I, I love that she's direct because I'm from the South and we're not always del- direct at times. <laughs> 
but she's oh, very really empathetic. <laughs> yeah, you, you never, never have to question what Paula's thinking because A, she'll tell you directly and B, her face hides nothing, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs> I know. I know. I, I swear I get on calls and people will ping me and say, Paula, turn your video off. I'm like, oh, you're rolling your eyes again. Yeah. You're doing it again. But no, I mean, what, what works really well is, and Ray's right. You know it, Carrie, you've worked with me for years. I just get shit done. So we work well together. I know what he needs. I'm also very good at building teams, collaborating. So it works really, really well. The dream team. Yeah. Yeah, You got a big, you got a big heart for people and coaching team members and you're empathetic, so Ugh, I try to hide it. Yeah, you're not good the, at that. The, then you're so sweet. Yep. Team loves working with you, Paula. <laughs> Cats out of the bag. Cats yeah. out of the bag. <laughs> and so those two examples, I know you guys both worked at Microsoft, and you both work at Axway now. And I know you both worked in small companies. So if you could just kind of as a way to kind of get to know you a little bit better, like what's your perspective on the differences between big and small companies? Because we hear this a lot from marketers, like I'm tired of working in a global company. I want to work for a startup or vice versa. You know, kind of what's the good, bad, and ugly? of each scenario. Do you want to go first, Ray, or do you want me? You can go first, Paula. Well, I've worked for a lot of big companies. I've worked for Microsoft. I worked at Deloitte for 10 years. So I think the good part about large companies are normally you have a really big budget, which is really, really fun. And also you get more opportunity. If you work in a big company, it's really easy to say, you know, I don't want to do this job anymore and go. And as long as you're a type A overachiever, they're going to find another place to put you. And so you get a ton of opportunity to do things that you never would have been able to do before. Like at Deloitte, I mean, I went to India. I started our research company in India. I ran global campaigns. I ran all kinds of stuff that if I was in my normal little box, I never would have had those opportunities. And it was a huge growth experience for me at that time in my career. And Microsoft, I mean, it was just tough. I mean, it was a large company, but like I said before, you've heard me say it, Carrie, we were definitely like a startup. They had a startup mentality with us. And we were basically told at any minute, all of Bing could be let go. So you constantly had like that, like, oh my God, kind of like you do when you're in a startup. And Carrie, we've been in a startup together, Green Fig. And I think large companies, you have too much process. Everything is so process driven. You have to fill out a form to fill out a form to fill out a form to... I mean, it's just crazy the amount of paperwork you have to do just to work there. You don't actually have time to do your job and you have more meetings than anyone should ever have in a lifetime. The small companies, the problem is it's just you and you have to be scrappy. You have to figure out how to do the most you possibly can with the money you have and then think even bigger and more. And then, of course, you have to worry about the CEO getting fired and everyone quitting, and then you're running the company. And (laughs) (laughs) not that that happened. Um, (laughs) It's going to say happen often, Paula. (laughs) Hypothetically. Hypothetically, if if that were. Yeah. (laughs) 
if that were to happen, but no. And, you know, I think a middle-sized company, which is really, I mean, Ray, what would you say Axway is? We're kind of in the middle we're category, honestly. middle-sized company. You yeah. know, we've got 1,800 employees, about 350 million euro in revenue, and we're in 11,000 customers and 100 companies. So we're a strong mid-sized company. And I have to say here, like we have process, but it's not like process overkill. I mean, but there's also drawbacks too. Like if I want a PR, I mean, there's only one person that signs him and he is the president of our company. Yeah. Yeah. We know, we know that. We We see that. (laughs) So, but it's, it's, there's a good balance in this size company. There's a good balance of enough process, not too much process, but, and I mean, I was in Arizona last week and Patrick said the CEO sat right next to me and says hi to me every morning. And he is very approachable. Steve Ballmer wasn't like that at Microsoft. Is that what you're <laughs> no. saying when we were there? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he sweat on me. He sweat on me when he was on stage and flung his arms and I had to sweat all over me. That grossed me out. <laughs> Oh my gosh, oh my I have this gosh. vision. That, 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 uh, that may be was, a whole nother episode. Oh, yeah. It really is. It, it really, really is. is. Poor Ray. I was like, what did you get me into? <laughs> he was quite the performer. I've never seen so, anything like that in a Nothing. company event. But Ever. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I've been fortunate to be in entrepreneurial enclaves of large companies as well and mid-sized tech companies and I spent seven years with uh, Bell South International as we're, we were buying and starting cellular companies and throughout Latin America. And each one was a new kind of company, ground up or consolidating. And then with Microsoft, we're literally that entrepreneurial area of Microsoft starting being the search engine. And we, as well as a, a few other smaller companies, but I think no matter where where you are, big or small, you got to focus on that agility of getting things done quickly and showing that impact and efficiently showing the impact to budget because you never seem like you have enough, no matter if it's big or the small. And you got to be collaborative to avoid a toxic work environment, you know, and be strong about storytelling for your success. You know, I mean, I think with the big companies, you have the tool sets that you don't necessarily have in the startups, the CRMs and the, and all the latest tech. Usually you got expert agencies that are bringing you some really great stuff that you can afford to have. And, and you got incredible training. I mean, it, when I was at AT&T and Bell South and Microsoft, the, the courses were fantastic, but it does take longer to get things done. The politics can be really ugly. The egos are can be really strong. And if you don't look and talk a certain way, like the other execs, then you are, it's really hard to advance. But the startups, you know, they'll try anything. And you've got your combination where you can do strategy and hands-on. You got to be scrappy. You got to roll up your sleeves. And your skills can get really developed but it's good to have a foundation of that training from the larger companies before you go into those smaller companies where your resources are constrained and you're not as efficient. And honestly, you got funding crisis, you got short tenures, you got to be prepared to always 
be looking <laughs> for that next That's our motto, always your be looking if you're on the <laughs> startup. Never stop. Never Don't stop. take your resume <laughs> off LinkedIn. Keep it updated. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I know Dana and I were talking, we've seen some crazy stuff in our careers. And when we had the conversation with you guys earlier, your experience at, at Microsoft and being, I think there were some kind of raw kind of moments where you probably were like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) What, you know, like we are out of our element, you know, why didn't we think of this? Let's dive into that. I know Paula, you had some real interesting moments in your experience at being let's let's talk about that and i think you know for our listeners they really want to like hear what happened but then how did you recover and like what's the learnings cuz you know i mean we got to be learning from this shit or what's the point right so yes so i was brought into bing to come up with a local global model and i'd worked at deloitte for 10 years leading up to that and I thought it was pretty global until I got to Bing and I, they actually had people in each region that was supposed to talk to me and work with me. So I had no idea. Thank God I'm scrappy, but I had to meet all these people, roll out campaigns that touched each of their regions really didn't. I just thought if we literally translated the documents and the emails and everything that it would like be perfect. Roll it out. We didn't worry about localization. So of course the teams globally hated me. I mean, it was terrible. Our platform was different in different regions, which of course I had no idea. I was pushing people to websites and in the different regions, some of them had websites that were translated and some weren't and some half the pages were translated and some of them weren't. And it was a horrible, I mean, I was so stressed out and people at Microsoft besides Ray in the leadership are not very forgiving or nice. So it was panic, literally pretty much every day. Like, how am I going to turn this around? What do I need to learn? How can I learn quickly? What do we do? What's in the platform in every region? What does localization look like? And honestly, to turn it around, we uh, the best thing I can tell people is get your butt over there sit in a room with these people, talk to them, let them know that you're really trying to do the best you can, but listen to them and then drink a lot, a lot. <laughs> with them, right? So we've got the camaraderie oh. and yeah, we're, you know. Oh, that was it. I mean, we just wanted to go to our room and go to bed. I mean, we're in London, right? It's 2.30 in the afternoon and all of us are like, oh my God, you've been there a couple of days or you just landed and the jet lag's killing you, but and you're sitting in a room and all you on is like potato chips because you're trying to eat anything <laughs> to like keep you going and everybody stinks and it's just <laughs> terrible and all you want to do is go back to your room and go to bed because you know you're only going to sleep for like four hours right. and then you're going to be up all night but nope uh-uh. have to go out and drink talk work all night drink talk work drink finally start talking family and then everything changed and of course i got a lot smarter really quickly. And that has really translated a lot into what I was, I've been able to bring every place else that I've gone, especially this role. That was probably the first three months of my time at Bing. And I was there much longer than that, but it was definitely 
a learning experience and it has helped us a ton in our experience now. Like right now, Ray's going to Europe this weekend or something. And then we're all meeting with the leaders in Mexico at the end of November and to do that very, to drink and, and build bridges and build trust. Yeah. That is so important. And that's why, yeah, that's why Ray and I work so well together is because I know he's got my back and I'll always have his same with Carrie. I mean, I always have Carrie's back and it's, uh, we need to build that. And that was a situation where we were developing a new division of Microsoft. So there wasn't something where Paula walked in and it was all established. Where really, I was like, I had two people when I first started there and we built it to, gosh, over 30 for it at one point. And so, but I think when it comes to global local marketing, I mean, you have these no field marketing leader who's hired to know their market wants to be told to execute a program that they've had no input on or or don't feel it can work in their market, whether it is the market being different countries or you're at, like I was at, at Singular, where I was on a national team and we had to launch in all these different, 26 different groups of states even. And whether it's across countries or whatever, you've got to design that a, a campaign across the regions. And I think you got to be really clear on those goals and objectives. And I think the key to success and rolling it out consistently with global campaigns, it's a planning process that allows for input along the way. You can't just show up and go, ta-da, here's the campaign. And by the way, you have to implement it. It's Oh, it's and that- I love working that way. Why can't people you, just say, Paula went and did it. She did all the research. She figured it out. It's localized for your region. Ta-da. Paula's getting shit done, okay? We don't, have, don't have time. We don't have time to hear this doesn't work on LinkedIn. Figure I would not recommend LinkedIn. <laughs> It's true. Well, that is the most efficient way. (laughs) But I think you got to have those check-ins, right? You got to have that brief and they got to feel like they have that opportunity with the stakeholders to give input before it's finalized. And then you kick off meeting. And then when you've got the creative and content, they have that opportunity for input. And that's not like every step of the way, but you have these checkpoints where they know that that is when their opportunity for input comes in and maybe the operations and logistics part of the execution piece of it. And then it rolls out in a strong playbook that for execution. And maybe there are everybody, we used to have a go and no-go launch meeting for major campaigns and promotions. And that way the field marketing net managers know they have these particular chance to give input and you have the postmortems, but, and you can hold, them accountable as well for their opinions in terms of if you're in the field, depending on the personality, it can really be, oh, well, thanks, but we're doing our own thing. You know, this isn't going to work here. And you can say, well, why isn't it going to work here? Why is this image not good because of why? Just you personally don't like it? Or the efficiency of a global local model highly outweighs the pure local, in my opinion. And you got to get those efficiencies, especially when you have limited resources. But you got to get compromise, which is something we don't see in our political environment today, but hopefully it's still there a bit in the business because you got to 
I don't have a lot of uh, patience for, oh, that, that's not going to work here. It's not going to work here without a good reason versus I'm just going to use my own agency because that's not the efficient way to do it. Yeah. Well, and I think localization, regionalization, it's a tough one, right? I think we all start early in our career and think it's, oh, it's just translation. And even translation, half the time, it's not even correct. It's like, and I can't tell you if it is. It's like, here, I got to translate it for you. I don't know if it's right. <laughs> I couldn't tell you, right? It's yeah. tough. And then when we were at Bing, they didn't have segmentation. They didn't have anything. So Ray and I figured out how to segment people and how to put them in different categories and how we were going to talk to the different groups and who spend a certain amount of money and everything. So we built portals, right? We build these portals that are going to be in English. One's going to be in French. One's going to be German, Spanish. You get it. So we build them. We think this is the best thing ever. So our low level customers that are only spending less than a thousand dollars a month, this tool is going to generate for them their optimization. It's going to come to them in email. All they have to do is push a button. It automatically optimizes them. This is the best thing ever. So we build this tool. In English, it's pretty. It's really pretty. Imagine what it looked like in German <laughs> or French. Mm-hmm. Click here of became, became. <laughs> no. so that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. We, that we was... discovered our fields were not even large enough in our. No. Forming stuff. Oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> it was terrible. Like we never even thought. Well, how long is that word going to be in <laughs> sure. in French? <laughs> and wait, it doesn't translate. So we need four words to equal that one word that doesn't translate. Yeah. 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 So we did a lot of really fun things like that together. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Well, Ray, you had also mentioned in your days just some some great learnings and some management meetings and at Microsoft, I think specifically too. Would love to hear you share that with us because I think it applies to a lot of what we've all been through. So Yeah, there's nothing funner than going into an executive presentation at Microsoft. <laughs> And being Nothing. called out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but yeah, so I was given an update on where we were with several different things. And I'm a big extrovert and super positive kind of guy and everything. So here I am and I'm showcasing the, want to make sure I'm showcasing the work of the team as well, because that's really important at Microsoft. And so I go through and present where we are and I, and the head of the division goes, okay, is that all I'm going to get? And I went, well, what else would you like to hear about? And he goes, well, all you've told me is things that are going well. What's going wrong? And I said, well, it basically, are you taking care of the things that are not going so well? And I said, well, absolutely. I said, if you want to know what's not going well, ask me. And he goes, well, I shouldn't have to. I want to know what's going good and what's going not so good because that's going to build your credibility in this company. I shouldn't have to ask. And so learning that years ago, early on, was a great lesson to show that balance of, hey, this is great. Things are going well. And hey, I'm going to self-promote my team. And, but, and even though you have tons of things that you are taking care of, if you don't bring them forth and show it from a balanced standpoint, you have a tendency to not be as credible. So I'm glad I got that early on in my career, but not in the broad group that I was in at the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that was a really good lesson learned for me too, because I mean, it was ugly. Uh, Microsoft, I wouldn't go back. They couldn't pay me enough to go back, but it was was a great experience. And I learned, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't the stuff I learned at Microsoft really, but it does make me think like when we're doing leadership meetings now, I make sure that there's a balance, like here's what's going right. Here's what's going wrong. Or here's what I need help with. Not even what's going wrong. Like I need another team to help me. And I've asked them, but I want management to know that like, this isn't just Ray and Paula's show. Like we've got the whole marketing department, whole team, whole, everybody is all on board to make this stuff happen. And I think sometimes people just come in and, you know, do the positive, do the positive of what's going on and they don't point out the negatives. And I think you do lose credibility or you, people think you don't know what you're doing. Like there's all these problems and you're not talking about them. And why are we on this call? I don't want to talk about the good stuff. And I think that's a lesson you learn the hard way, you know? I mean, we learn through our failures, right? So if everything is peachy keen all the time, I mean, that's not, and it's just not realistic, right? I mean, we know that shit's happening and that's where we're learning and iterating and making our marketing better or anything in life. So well, that's, what's great about this podcast is that you guys are, are highlighting that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some people are more forthcoming than others. We're glad that you guys were uh, ready to jump in and talk about all the things. Um, so, so I wanted to talk a little bit about really enhancing the customer experience, right? And, and Ray, I know you had had some really intentional initiatives around life cycle and making sure that you understood the journey and then operationalizing that. And I think as, as marketers, I mean, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge in making sure not only do you understand it, but that you're, you're operationalizing it in a way that is effective given the resource challenge teams that we all operate in. So maybe if you could expand a little bit on your experience there and, and, you know, not necessarily looking for failures, but maybe from what you learned along the way that our audience might get some benefit from. Sure. Yeah. I'm a big believer in moments of truth, so to speak, those kind of engagement points where the, along the customer journey, when the customer is making a key decision or forming a key impression about your company and being intentional and planning around those moments of truth, so to speak, and being intentional about what you want that experience to be and what you want to deliver. I think not only is it important from like demand gen, which is what I'm really focused on at Axway, but it's, Along the whole life cycle, especially as you're now that you're that there's so much of us that are in subscription type of models. If you're just trying to get somebody in the door, then they're going to you're going to get that leaky bucket <laughs> out the back door. You're spending so much to get them get them on board. So at several companies, I've taken a life cycle management approach, and that is really pivoting on that awareness and discovery phase, that demand gen and that onboarding phase and that retention grow and reactivation or win back depending on the subscription model but you got to be very precise on where one stage ends and the other begins and i like putting a senior marketer in charge of each of those stages to really champion the experience of the customer 
across all the different st stakeholders. And that is not only the marketing touch points that they're primarily focused on, but they're calling out what's wrong with the product in that stage. What, what do we need from a customer service standpoint that we're not delivering from a service standpoint so that obsesses about that stage and the metrics that are aligned with that stage. For example, at a company like, like that has a platform, acquisition may end the minute that somebody signs up and enters their credit, then boom, it goes into to an onboarding stage, depending on, on your business model. But within each of the life cycles, you know, there's a host of cohorts based on how they're behaving at that stage, how they're using the product. And you can analyze that and develop programming to ensure that it's more sticky. And we find it out the hard way sometimes. So I was at Team Viewer or at Bing as well, where we both had platforms that you had to sign up. If you build in these triggers of behaviors, you can start, once they've signed up, you can mitigate the churn. Gosh, were they logging in a lot? And all of a sudden, they are not. Did that? And gosh, they're six months out from a renewal. What are you going to do from renewal date back? nine months to make sure you're analyzing and mitigating churn. But the onboarding piece, one thing at being when Paula and I was there was a big thing for us because once we were small mid-sized businesses. So once you signed up, that first 60 day period was we'd give a hundred dollars to join the platform and try it out. But if they, their experience in that first 15 days and that first 30 days was so critical for us to get them to after the 60 on day 61 move into the retention and growth phase and i tell you on a side note of that it's just when you pivot on the customer experience and frame the issues and challenges from the perspective of the customer in that way it's so much easier to navigate those personal egos that are so prevalent, especially in the bigger companies and corporate communities about who's right and whose budget it's coming from and resourcing. And when you're focusing it on the customer, it really takes that ego out of it. And you're all trying to make it better, make that experience better. And that was a big lessons learned and one of the more effective ways that I've been able to to get things, get shit done. <laughs> and honestly, I agree. I think when I first started at Bang, the way Ray had it set up with the life cycle, I ended up owning a lot of the life cycles, which was fine. But I think the key in setting up life cycle is the team has to be really close because you got to remember somebody's working on this section and they're writing everything, they're messaging, they're doing everything. And then all of a sudden it goes to onboarding and it's like you're in a whole different company. Like these people all of a sudden made it like balloons and bubbles and over here they were like, so it took us a long time to get our team to be like, especially globally, like, okay, this is who's onboarding. This is this, this is the message in EMEA. This is what it looks like in APAC. Now onboarding has to pick it up and continue that message, that same tone, that same everything. And that's really hard, especially when all of a sudden you're working with like an engineering team or a, a customer service team that's onboarding and they don't talk to our customer like they're a, cu a customer. They don't even look to see that this person has been a customer for eight years. <laughs> and, you yeah, know, and they're so blindfolded, right? Just <laughs> they're just, they're just doing their job. Yeah. Somebody called, they picked up the phone. They don't care who they are. They don't, they talk 
to him exactly the same way. And I think that that's even a problem that we see today at the company that we're at currently at. It's like, what do we do along this life cycle? And Ray just drilled into me life cycle, life cycle. So I'm like, great, we've got acquisition, but how do they get onboarded? Who touches them? What do those messages look like? How are we going to retain and grow them? And who's responsible for that? Who's touching that? And what does that message look like? What does that experience look like for somebody along this journey? Because we do have a subscription model now. So when are they being touched? When are they, who are the sales guys? Do they know their customers and how long they've been customers and the tools they have? And what do those messages look like coming from marketing? And I think a lot of companies try to set up a life cycle, but they don't think it through from beginning to end. And the same messaging, the same feel, the same look. Can you imagine you guys just built that, helped us build that whole tainment campaign. So we get somebody in, that's the messaging we're giving them. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah. <laughs> who knows where they go? We got them. <laughs> yeah. But guys, we did an onboarding campaign for a client once and I was I mean, great, we'll help you do the onboarding campaign. The reason they really needed this stuff was they had almost a 60-day period where there was a rep changeover from the sale to who took it over. For 60 days, there was nobody to talk to this client. And they're wow. like, so we need an onboarding campaign. I'm, like, I'm like, okay, I got that. We'll do it. But I think there's a bigger process issue you guys need to address. But I think that's what you're saying, Ray, too, right? It's not yeah, just marketing. Yeah. Even though I'm putting a marketer in charge of the life cycle, it's the experience. Like I need someone from sales to be there to answer questions and it's got to be consistent with our messaging. And I think it's so overlooked, so overlooked. And it's the low hanging fruit, right? It, it really is. That's where the money comes from quickly. Quickly. And I think one of the really good things that Ray set up at Microsoft and that we've also done here is like, I've got somebody in product marketing that I'm talking to. I've got somebody on the engineering team that I'm talking to. I'm talking to the people that are talking. I'm talking to the sales guys. I'm talking to everybody. It's like, what are you guys hearing? What are you seeing? Where are we having problems? So that when I'm building in the messaging and looking at the different personas, I then can say, okay, this is going to be a problem. I mean, but we need, it's still a life cycle. Like what happens to them? Yeah, I mean, these customers have been customers for quite some time and some are starting to churn. What does that process look like and who touches them? What, what does that look like? So I still think there's lots of lessons learned around the customer experience. We've all tried to do it really, really well, but there always seems to be some little miss depending on the company, depending on the personalities, depending on who you bring in or, or turnover, Oh my God. Talk just turnover yeah. <laughs> yeah. with COVID, you know, yeah. losing so many people that jumped after COVID's over and, and trying to get them that cadence back of like, who are we meeting with? What are we doing? What does yeah. the product look like? But at least like? you're looking for it, right? You know, it's there. You're looking for it as opposed to not knowing what you don't know, right? You know, there's something there. You've got to look for it. You may not know exactly what it is until you analyze, but yeah. That's the hardest part about being this old. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know it's a problem, and you know if you mention it, you'll get assigned it. That, 
So that's our other, our other big mistake. Just keep it a secret so you don't get the work. Uh, just send an anonymous email. I see these problems. Paula's busy. <laughs> but it's true but you know you never get bored and always there's something new to learn in marketing and true. i have to say as an old dog i gotta always learn new tricks of the trade you gotta always keep learning and and stay on top of the gosh the technology is so crazy in this in marketing it's great yeah it's crazy i mean that's something that i really wish i would have done more. I had a great leader example in Carrie that always was constantly, Carrie, you were always trying to figure out the newest thing and get on demos and learn all this stuff. And I was always like, oh, <laughs> she's still like Show that. Me she <laughs> Let me just run the company and let's be profitable. <laughs> and then, Let me talk to the shiny new object? <laughs> yes. Let me talk to the customers that are unhappy and fix it. You go squirrel. Look at that. <laughs> We're thinking the same thing. <laughs> squirrel. squirrel. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, Dana, why don't we uh, go to our last Yeah, uh, last yeah, this has been great. So, you know, what What are some of the cool things you guys are working on now? We've heard all about our failures and mistakes. And what are some of the cool things you guys got coming or working on right now? It's keeping you guys busy up at night, all that fun stuff. Oh, wow. Well, we are rolling out Demand Base One. And Yay! And fine-tuning <laughs> our ABM strategy. So that's a big thing for us. Big. And Huge. Optimizing our intent data, which is, you know. Which is which super cool. Super cool across a bunch of different intent data sources. And then we've got our global local mark model that we are trying to land and approach then much differently. Again. Yeah. <laughs> again. Yes. Let's hope I can do it better this time. Oh, we're back. Just watch the Paula. images with the cars where the steering wheels on the wrong side. I made that mistake. <laughs> Putting a car in I Australia wrong side. So yeah, you'll be good. We ran ads at Bing and they were uh, not Microsoft phones. They were iPhones. Oh, oh that's yeah. Yeah. That's that'll come back and bite you. That'll come back and bite you. <laughs> what about you, Paula? What are you working on? Uh, really, everything Ray just said. <laughs> so really, you're, you're um, executing it all. <laughs> I'm executing what Ray wants done. So no, uh, mine is more trying to really push Amplify and get a campaign out there that shows Amplify really well do something out of the box. We did animated ads and a short videos and stuff like that to really push this. It's a different campaign than Axway has ever done in the past before they did standalone campaigns, one for this stream, one for that, one for that. And we made it one big, huge campaign. So really excited to see how that will perform at the same time, rolling in demand base one, which is so cool because now we can put tech target and demand base one and roll it all into one tool zoom. to get yeah. and mm -hmm. zoom to get like all the intent data, all the information to the sales guys really quickly. And in, in one weekly report, just really working closely with the sales teams on what they need and trying to pilot some different sales plays that it might be just smaller, quicker, easy wins for the team. 
when we're really working on our SEO, all of our digital campaigns, I run SEO, I run the digital campaigns for Google. We're actually going to start advertising on Bang, Good. which makes me go, happy. Going home. It's like going home. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no exactly. Like home. And I mean, my group is great. Customer advocacy just rolled under me, which I love. Like that is my retain and grow kind of customer advocacy. But, you know, I have a really great team right now. I couldn't be happier. I have a great agency I'm working with. You guys might know them, (laughs) (laughs) which is helping a ton. We're figuring out a lot of the things. Ray's only been here a year, really redefined everything. Our scoring model's not working as well as we would like. So redoing, and it's, it's that old lesson. We learned so many things over our lifetime when you come to something like this, it's like, okay, now what can I impact and how can we change all this stuff? And how do you do it? Not all in the first six months, but we've got exciting, like big things just rolling out. We've got a full team for the first time in a long time and it just feels good. And we hired really good people that I really like, not just professionally, but I mean, I like them. And that's super fun to work with people that you really like. Yeah, we know that. That's why we uh, (laughs) keep coming back to work with you guys. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So last question. And we've been asking everyone this, and it's it's a fun one. And, and I would say we're not that much beyond 20. So knowing we don't have to think too far right, back. This but... was just a few years ago. <laughs> what advice would you give that 20-year-old Ray and that 20-year-old Paula as you're kind of looking ahead at your career and looking ahead at your life? What advice would you give that person? For me, I would just build the storytelling skills early, you know, and, and experiment with storytelling, not just in business, but externally, because that is such something that helps you throughout your career. And also trust your gut. I've all went back at the stupid things I've done over the time. I always had a gut instinct to not do it. And I ignored it. And I think as you do get older, you're like, God, I knew I shouldn't have done that stupid thing. And and then lastly, buy some Bitcoin and for God's sake, get a prenup. <laughs> For God's sake, get a prenup. Get a prenup. <laughs> so, for Aww. both of us, Ray. Um, I think I'm going to go buy Bitcoin now. <laughs> so what would I tell my my 20-year-old son? You're not fat. <laughs> You're actually hot. Own it. <laughs> because someday you will be fat. <laughs> But you're not now, sister. Um, no, I think if I could tell myself anything, it would it would be more like dive into the technology, learn technology, because that just gives you an avenue to, I mean, it's why we started GreenFig, to teach people technology and get them educated in this direction. And the technology that has changed so much over the years that we've been doing it, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for somebody who's 20 right now. If they don't dive into technology, they're just going to be lost. I also would tell myself, always be kind, support each other. Don't forget the people that helped you get along the way. And don't ever think that the things you do don't totally change and direct somebody else's career. Because it does. 
I mean, when you think of everything we did at Green Fig, and I still to this day have those kids calling me. You were their guiding light for a long time, Paula. So I'm I'm not surprised to hear this. Can we cut you. this? Yes, <laughs> we can. But it's no, very authentic, think, so I think it should stay. No, I just I just think it's one of those things that you don't realize it till you're later in life that the difference that you make. I mean, sometimes you do something so small, like send somebody a thank you or or say something and it you totally change their direction. And later in life, they come back, but you taught them something that you thought was nothing and super simple and it changed their whole life. And I think remembering to just be kind and when people are asking questions and they're driving you crazy to just remember you were there once and live your life that way. I think it's so true because I think we think it has to be this big thing, this big gesture. And often it's these really, it's a smile. It's taking the five minutes to explain something to somebody, how to do it. And even when you're busy and, and that's the difference, right? It's it's not the changing of the world. The world changes by those small things. So, And I think you, when you're 20, or your thirties, you're so worried about where you're going and who you're crawling over yeah. <laughs> so you can get that boat or yeah. that house or yeah. whatever. Right. That and just, you know, you're doing this and, and just remember that the people that you crawl over and the things you do will affect the rest of your career. Good Karma's a bitch. Karma's <laughs> a bitch. It totally is. <laughs> And I would like to be there to see some karma on some people. <laughs> oh, that's a whole other season, Carrie. Oh, I like that. <laughs> karma come back to bite you. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, this has been fantastic, you guys. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for your time. Yes. I know you both are insanely busy, and Dana and I are just thrilled to get you on and and chew the fat with you. It's been a lot of fun. So grateful. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. This Thanks was fun. guys. And that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining hosts, Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group. And this podcast, Marketing Gets Real, where we get rid of the filters and chat with B2B marketers about real life stories of successes, failures, and everyday adventures. If you're loving these, oh shit, tell it how it is type of conversations, Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.